good evening, everyone. My name is Neti Murshin. Uh, just a week or so ago on May 26th, uh, I received transmission from my teacher, Kokyo Henkel Osho, who is here this evening. We had the ceremony at No Abode, which is uh, Tension Roshi Reb Anderson's temple up in uh, Marin County. So we were very grateful to him for giving us that space. I just wanted, there's this thing on the screen. Let's see if I can make it go away. Um, we were there for 10 days. Uh, Kokyo, myself, and Reverend Shoho Koblast, who was uh, the Jisha, which is like the assistant, and she assisted with all sorts of like infinite number of little tasks that needed to be done, and she was always there doing them, which was wonderful. She was also the Tenzo, cooking wonderful meals. And for the last three days, Enru uh, Patrick Tivaba was the instructor, and he helped me with the ceremonial parts, which were sometimes quite complicated. Um, so we had this wonderful 10 days, and it was interesting being able to move between the informality of having breakfast, lunch, and dinner together with the beautiful food that Shoho cooked with her sort of generous spirit. We were able just to sit and laugh and talk about Dharma stories, uh, adventures that uh, we and other people have had through our Dharma years, very relaxed and enjoyable. And then we could shift into the formality of what we were there for. And that, that was lovely being able trans to transition throughout the day from informality to formality. Uh, I want to thank also some other people who helped just with the abundance of the whole ceremonial process. And that's Liz Malazzo for all the flowers that she prepared and had sent up to us. And Richard Colmar for his woodworking skills and uh, Karen Oakley for her sewing skills. And everybody else, just because I knew many of you were thinking of us. So deep appreciation to everyone for that. And I think the only way that I can uh, show my appreciation to my teacher is through doing my best to embody the teachings and to share the teachings. And as many as many of you know, I'm moving to Australia in uh, three weeks. And I do hope to maybe be able to set some Dharma roots down there in the Soto Zen lineage and also combine them with uh, the other lineage that I'm a part of, the Diamond Sangha, which is a koan a lineage, a, a lay tradition that includes koan study. And so I'm hoping to establish a Soto Zen center with some dovetailing with some koan training in it. Maybe that will happen. We shall see. If conditions are favorable, it may happen. And I think that's the best way for me to show my gratitude 
to both my teacher and to Santa Cruz Zen Center Sangha for all the support I received from you over the years. So the ceremony itself feels something a little difficult to talk about, something maybe I don't really want to talk about. But I do want to share that a lot of the 10 days we were, we were honoring the ancestors and we honored them in different ways. There was a daily jundo, which is going from one altar to another altar, offering incense and doing bows to different uh, teachers and different bodhisattvas. So I would do that a number of times a day. There was bowing to the ancestors, like the, the ancestors that we chant traditionally on Monday mornings, uh, bowing to each of them uh, multiple times a day, which was excellent exercise for me. As you know, I, I like aerobic exercise, so it was its own version of that. Um, and uh, chanting the ancestors' names and copying the ancestors' names with traditional the black ink and that was one of the ways in which Shoho was very helpful for me was in grinding the ink and copying out the names of the ancestors. And the whole process of doing that over many, many days uh, really deepened my, my commitment to this particular tradition that we're in and uh, deep gratitude to the way in which from Shakyamuni Buddha until right now here in the United States, people have eye-to-eye, face-to-face, transmitted the teachings or recognised the teachings in each other and have moved them along so that they are still alive all around the world for all of us to benefit from. I'm going to see if I can screen share a few photos, see how it goes. Oh, that doesn't look like it. Hold on, let's try again. This one. Can you see that photo? Can you see that one? Okay. There's Kokyo, myself, and Patrick. Now let's see if I can just go across. This is the altar at No Abode. It is um, an old Japanese altar from a Pure Land temple. And some years ago in the Bay Area, they decided to upgrade to something more modern. And so Tenshin Roshi was very happy to receive this beautiful altar. So it's very traditional and really wonderful. Uh, it, it creates a, a wonderful sort of focal point for the temple there. So let's see if I can move a photo across. Okay, there's another photo of the temple of, of us. There's Shoho. I just want to go through a few of these and get, there's a selfie. Can you all see that? Yeah. Another one. And there's one of Manjushri there. Okay, that will do. Oh, quite proud of myself. I'm rather technology averse, so that was quite an achievement for me. Um, so because the ceremony was very, uh, very focused on honoring the ancestors. I thought maybe what I could share is just a few ancestor stories um, for us 
and for us to see ourselves in these ancestors. Like these ancestors are not foreign creatures. They are no, they're no different to us. So as you hear the story, see yourself in the story, see ourselves in these stories. What am I doing for time? Okay, first I'm going to read uh, some introduction by Francis Cook in the Record of Transmission of Light, Kazan, Kazan's collection of ancestors, the ones that we chant. It's, it's about two-thirds of the list that we chant. So I'm just going to read this out. Zen, pro, Zen practice is a process of digging down through the various layers that cover the light of clear knowing. In human beings, these layers are made up of such things as concepts, symbols, language, categories, habits, ideological presuppositions, and the natural tendency to divide the world into self and not self. Once these layers are removed, a way of knowing is recovered. I really like this word recovered. A way of knowing is recovered. It's not kind of created or injected. It's recovered, it's already there, it's revealed. This way of knowing is recovered, that is said to function in the complete absence of the conventional concepts and categories of thought by means of which we ordinarily attempt to make sense out of an experience. And that according to all schools of Buddhism, superimpose a meaning on events that does not belong intrinsically to the event. So we're learning to sort of like not add layers. To experience events as they truly are, one must experience them, experience them without the least bit of personal or cultural meaning added to them. This kind of knowing might be called no mind, which can be is a translation of the word mushin, which is my Dharma name. This no mind is the light the Kazan celebrates and appreciates in this book here, The Record of Transmission of Light and the kind of knowing that the master looks for in the disciple. The good teacher is one who recognizes it in the student when they see it. And since it is absolutely essential that teachers possess this form of knowing, the student who convincingly displays it becomes the master's successor through what is considered to be a transmission. That succession is never based on a mastery of Buddhist doctrine, the displaying of doctrinal correctness or the adherence to sectarian orthodoxy, but is based on the kind of unconditioned, unprejudiced knowing that Kazan likens to a brightness greater than the sun and moon combined. Shakyamuni found it and passed it on to Mahakasyapa, who passed it on to Ananda, and so on down the generations to Dogen and Ejo in Japan. And then, of course, we can add to, uh, to Suzuki Roshi, who brought it to America, and down through the various teachers that bring us to where we are right now. And may it continue on across the globe for centuries, if we're lucky. Okay, so I'm just going to read a couple of uh, awakening stories. This is Bodhidharma's. And let's, you know, see ourselves, see ourselves in, in the story. The 28th ancestor was the venerable Bodhidharma. 
Once the 27th Patria ancestor, the venerable Prajnatara asked, what among all things is formless? The master replied, not arising is formless. The ancestor asked, what among all things is the greatest? The master replied, the true nature of things is the greatest. And this is, I think, when we are in Zazen, we are examining the true nature of things. We're seeing if we can drop away the thoughts in our mind and just be present. And as often as we've all heard that, it's actually very hard for us to keep being present. We, we do, do have a tendency to keep on wanting to uh, create concepts about what's arising in front of us. So it's this kind of infinite curiosity to keep returning to just, just here, just now, with nothing added, just forgetting about ourselves, just totally forgetting about ourselves, which we might have to forget about ourselves like every three seconds, but just continuing to forget about ourselves, forget about ourselves, just be present, just be present. And while we're walking, just notice the sky, just hear the birds, just see the cars over and over and over and if we can maintain that kind of curiosity the world can really crack open for us so this is this is what bodhidharma said he said that he, this is what he said what is the greatest thing the true nature of things is the greatest and that's what we want to we want to experience the true nature of things rather than experience our idea of the true nature of things which is not the same thing So another one. I don't know why I picked our most, our most well-known ancestors, but I did. So here's Ehe Dogen, the 50, oh, I actually just wanted to say something about Bodhidharma. So after that, then Bodhidharma goes to China and he meets Emperor Wu, the famous story. And Emperor Wu does not recognize Bodhidharma. Emperor Wu has a conversation with him and asks him who he is. And Bodhidharma says, I don't know, which is the true nature of reality. So Bodhidharma expresses the true nature of reality and says, I don't know. And Emperor Wu just doesn't understand what that's all about. And I had this thought today that Emperor Wu is us and the conceptual mind and Bodhidharma is now. And so we don't want to be... Emperor Wu failing to recognize now. We want to be here now. So I thought that was kind of nice. Emperor Wu and Bodhidharma are conceptual thinking now. Okay, so Dogen. The 51st first patriarch was priest Ehe Dogen. Once during late night Zazen, Chu Xing asked the monks, studying Zen is dropping off of body and mind. Hearing this, the master was suddenly greatly awakened. So that must mean that at that moment when he heard those words, he was paying attention. That's what that must mean. He must have been actually paying attention and wasn't sitting there thinking about something else. Otherwise, he wouldn't have noticed those words, but he heard them. Hearing this, the master was suddenly greatly awakened. He went at once to the abbot's room and burned incense. Chu Ching asked him, why are you burning incense? 
the master answered, body and mind have dropped off. Chu Ching said, body and mind have dropped off, but dropped off body and mind. The master said, this is, this is a temporary ability. You must not approve me without reason. I haven't heard anybody speak about this, but I like this. It sounds to me as if Dogen is saying, don't be too quick to say I've got it, like examine me, which is a pretty wonderful thing that he did that, if that's what that is about. Chu Ching says, I'm not approving you without reason. The master asked, why are you not approving me without reason? And he said, you dropped off body and mind. So he recognized it. He recognized it in Dogen. There was no doubt. You dropped off body and mind. The master bowed. Chu Ching said, you have dropped off, dropping off. Then the attendant said, it is no small thing for a foreigner to experience this realm. Chu Ching said, how many here have forgotten it? How many here have gotten it? Liberated, he is mild and peaceful and the thunder roars. I was thinking about this. It's no small thing for a, a, a foreigner to experience this realm. Um, Dogen was Japanese and he was in China. So I imagine that's what the reference there is. But we might all feel a little bit like we're foreigners. We maybe don't feel like we're quite Zen-ish enough, maybe. I'm not sure. But we should try not to feel like foreigners. We should feel completely part of the lineage, completely part of the tradition, completely part of the human community, completely part of the animal kingdom, completely part of the whole world. We shouldn't feel foreign. Um, so one more, because no fault of anybody's really, just the fault of culture, that we don't have many women in our ancestry. But I think this is changing and we can start to relax, that it's all, it's all going to even out. But I will read you Chiano's No Water, No Moon, which we studied in our Monday morning study group just recently. Chiano was a servant in a Zen convent who wanted to practice Zazen. One day she approached an elder nun and asked, I'm of humble birth, I can't read or write, but must work all day. Is there any possibility that I could retain the way of Buddha even though I have no skills? The nun answered her, This is wonderful, my dear. In Buddhism there is no distinctions between people, there is only this. Each person must hold fast to the desire to awaken and cultivate a heart of great compassion. People are complete as they are. If you don't fall into delusive thoughts, there is no Buddha and no sentient being. There is only one complete nature. If you want to know your true nature, you need to turn towards toward the source of your delusive thoughts. This is called Zazen. Jono said with happiness, with this practice my, as my companion, I have only to go about my daily life practicing day and night. After months of wholehearted practice, she went out on a full moon night to draw water from the well. The bottom of her bucket, of her old bucket, held together by bamboo strips, suddenly gave way, and the reflection of the moon vanished with the water. When she saw this, she attained great realization. Her enlightenment poem was this. With this and that, I tried to keep the bucket together, and then the bottom fell out. Where the water does not collect, the moon does not dwell. I love the way she says, with this and that, I held the bucket together. 
it's just such a modest way to talk about the way most of us spend so much of our time trying to keep ourselves together, trying to create, uh, trying to create ourselves, trying to be successful or to be known or to be remembered or to be liked, um, to be viewed in one way or another, to have security, to be loved. That's the this and that holding the bucket together. <laughs> I just love the simple way she uses the words, the complex way in which we actually end up conducting our lives. So we, if we can uh, have the good fortune for something to happen that causes the bucket, the bottom to fall out of our bucket, and sometimes that good fortune is something very unpleasant happening to us. It's often, in fact, something unpleasant happening to us, but it doesn't have to be. It can be just sincere practice, sincere practice, zazen, curiosity, study, sometimes just doing that, creating a sort of a ripening. So rather than the bottom falling out suddenly in the way when something difficult happens it can, can, that can wake us up, it can be more like the sun ripening a piece of fruit slowly, day by day, day by day, and then boop, the fruit falls can be like that that can be the bottom dropping out that way with this and that i tried to keep the bucket together and then the bottom fell out where the water does not collect the moon does not dwell and so even even uh, any kind of thought of attachment to enlightenment itself fell away for her it just all fell away she could just get on with whatever the tasks were that she needed to be doing Um, so let's see if there's anything else I wanted to say. Oh, yes. So why, why do we want to wake up? We don't want to wake up just for ourselves personally. And in fact, that's not even possible. If somebody wakes up to the nature of reality, you automatically at that moment, because you have woken up to the nature of reality, in a way, turn the light of awareness back out. You know, we talk, talk about turning the light of awareness in, but we can also turn that light of awareness. We just naturally turn it out when we awaken and see the beauty of the world, see the joys of the world, and hear the cries of the world. That's just what happens. So all of this practice is so that we are more available and more able to respond to the cries of the world because we have stopped being preoccupied with this delusion of self. We've just stopped doing it or we do it way less. And then there's this energy, just this infinite amount of energy available to be of benefit to the world in just totally ordinary ways, no big deal, just like Jono, just getting on with whatever one gets on with, saying hello to people, not treading on insects whatever just comes in front of our path. I mean, it just arrives. We don't have to go looking for it. So all of, all of this sort of process of wanting to wake up to the nature of reality is to benefit beings. There's no other reason to do it. Um, I now have a website, which I would like you all to know about. It's netiparek.com, N-E-T-I-P-A-R-E-K-H. 
And the reason I want you to know about it is I want to be able to stay connected with, with you when I'm in Australia, and that will be one of the easiest ways. Um, I'll be doing Zoom Zazen seven days a week, 6 a.m. in Australia, which is 1 p.m. in California, starting on the 4th of July. That will begin. And uh, other things maybe over time, but that, that for starters, which is really just because I'm a bit lazy and I do much better when I sit with other people. So that will, that will keep me on task, keep me, keep me doing daily zazen. And I'm giving uh, an interview on K-Squid Radio this Friday at 3 on spiritual practice and activism, if anybody's interested in tuning into that. I think that's, I think we'll finish there. Patrick, if you want to lead us through our closing chant and then um, announcements, and then people can stay on for questions and answers and comments after that. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to win them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.